First Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ, excuse me, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Yes, Heavenly Father, your blessing on the reading of your word. The application of your word. Give us wisdom. We ask that you'd give us a desire to implement the word of God. We ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen. You may be seated. There are churches whose primary doctrine is to have no doctrine at all. That may sound ridiculous, but what I mean by that is they have no doctrinal position on much of anything. For some denominations like the Quakers, that is their official policy. They refuse to have any doctrinal statement in print. But for many others, they simply refuse to take a stand on specific Bible doctrines. What do you believe about the virgin birth of Christ? Is it important? We don't have a position. Will there be a literal thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth? Maybe so. Maybe not. Does it matter if there's a creature named Satan? Because evil doesn't need to have a personality or a face, does it? Baptism, it can be by immersion or sprinkling or pouring. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. Let's look at the Bible as a collection of allegories where nothing really is what it appears to be. That sort of thing. What is important to these churches is whether or not people live according to the standards which that particular church says is important. It's all about uh, outward appearance. Of course, that is not the approach of our church when it comes to the Word of God. We believe in specific doctrines because the Bible teaches specific doctrines. The Bible is a doctrinal book, and we are a Bible-based church. Therefore, we believe specific Bible teachings, and that is the literal meaning of the word doctrine, teachings. This chapter... Corinthians 15 is an important doctrinal study. After beginning with a declaration of the gospel, Paul goes on to a hotly debated subject in his day. Did Christ actually arise from the grave? 
Was Christ resurrected? And in light of that, what about our resurrection? Will we also rise from the grave? Some Sadduceic churches would say that it doesn't matter. But it does matter. As Paul says in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. Not only will there be a bodily resurrection, Paul also teaches in this chapter and elsewhere that one day the Lord will come and take away living saints. Not only will the dead be raised, the living saints will be caught up to be with the Lord. Those saints will be glorified, they will be reunited with the deceased believers and presented to the Father. This chapter is like many, if not most, of Paul's epistles. This chapter is like the entire book of Ephesians or the book of Romans. It begins with doctrine and it ends with practical Christianity. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What those Quakers and others fail to recognize is that a true Christian, a true Christian life must be based on biblical doctrine, yes. biblical truth, based on the fact that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the, the last trump, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Based on that, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Serve the Lord. In verse 57, Paul tells us to be thankful for the victory we have and the upcoming victory related to it. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the victory is through Christ. It's not ours by possession. It's, by, it's ours by God's grace. We participate in the victory that really belongs to the Savior. It's his victory. And that is why we should be especially thankful. It's his. He's sharing it. Not only that, we should be full of praise and the giving of glory. Not just, oh, I'm saved. Amen. That's good. But praise the Lord for the blessing and the victory that we have. Yeah. And again, after verse 57, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Building upon the doctrine of this chapter, after thanksgiving, Paul lays out some responsibilities. And that's what we're going to consider tonight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, my beloved brethren, this little introduction is almost as important as all the rest of the verse. At least, I think so. To whom was Paul writing? Well, we know. He was writing to the church at Corinth. And what sort of Christians were in that church? They were born-again sinners. A bunch of sinners 
saved by the grace of God, just like every other child of God. Many of them still carried the baggage that had been a part of their lives for a long time before their conversion. There were probably church members with whom we might have a hard time enjoying fellowship. There were that many differences and problems. But that's not how it should be. That's not how it might be. This book is filled with rebuke and exhortation based upon Bible doctrine because those people were far from ideal Christians. And we're not either. And yet, to one of God's more outstanding saints, they were beloved brethren. Paul wasn't casting anyone to the curb. He wasn't disfellowshipping anyone because of their past or their present as far as that goes. He practiced what he taught to the Romans. Let love be without dissimulation. Chapter 12, verse number 9. He said to the Thessalonians, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. He used the same word, abound, in that verse as he does right here. He also said, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, Ephesians 4, verse 32. These beloved brethren, he exhorted To be steadfast and unmovable. Don't forget the context. This exhortation was made in regard to the doctrines of the resurrection and the translation of the saints. Be steadfast and unmovable. Like nearly every other Bible doctrine, it doesn't matter what you pick, There are going to be critics and opponents to that doctrine. The resurrection, opponents. The translation, opponents. Satan has worked up an army to say that Satan does not exist. Uh, It doesn't matter. Salvation by grace through faith is a hated doctrine within a large portion of Christendom. A vast portion of Christendom would disavow the message that I preached Sunday afternoon about uh, baptism by immersion. The preservation of God's word is denied by many. The preservation of God's saints is denied by perhaps even more. And as hard as, as it is for me to believe, There are false teachers who deny Jesus' resurrection and our future translation. Be steadfast and unmovable. Is it just me? I see a difference between being steadfast and unmovable. Paul has used two words. Is he just doing it for emphasis or is he saying two separate things? Doesn't one word look inward 
be ye steadfast. And the other word, look toward circumstances. Don't allow yourself to be moved. Whether that's true or not, there's the fact that even our own hearts sometimes struggle against the truth. For example, there's a natural propensity in us to deny our sinfulness. Right. Or at least relatively so. I'm just not as sinful as that guy. It's natural to us. Evil is only in the other guy. I just make mistakes from time to time. Isn't it natural for us to want to contribute to our salvation? It just I'm not saying that this is what you believe and this is what we do, but it's, it's natural to the man and, and there may have been those months or years early in your Christian life when, when you actually thought you could assist the Lord in your salvation, even though you were trusting Christ. It's a natural thing. Be steadfast. Don't move away from what God says. Right. Our unbridled minds, or are they bridled? Might say, it's not logical to believe that uh, Jesus multiplied all those uh, pieces of fish and bread. It's not logical to believe in miracles. Of course, we don't believe that. We don't think like that. We believe in miracles. I'll get that right. But uh, there's a propensity in us to do that sort of thing. Our, our own hearts are deceitful and wicked. And sometimes they rise up against the Spirit. To be steadfast requires resolution on our part. Stubbornness. I will not be moved from this doctrine of uh, resurrections. I will not be moved from this uh, doctrine of, of the rapture of the saints, the translation of the saints. I will not be, I will not be moved. Like a tree planted by the rivers of water, I shall not be moved. Partnering with steadfast, we have that other word, unmovable. This suggests to me a resolution not to let outside forces move me away. For example, there are hundreds of Christian authors these days, many of whom are quite famous, telling us not to expect to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, as Paul has told us here in this chapter. They tell us that Paul is not referring to himself when he said, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain at the time, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul, I think, was including himself in that hope, that expectation. Yes, it did not come true in his day, but he believed it would be or could be. Let me put it that way. As self-serving as this might sound, after your own reading of God's word, the majority of your Bible instruction should come from the church into which the Lord has placed you. That's right. Not from the internet, 
right. Not from other churches. Right. The more time you spend in reading books by today's prominent Christian authors, the more likely it will be, and it's not guaranteed, of course, the more likely it will be that you are going to be moved. If when you are sick and miss a church service, you're more apt to listen to some preacher on the other side of the country than to listen to the message you missed or are missing, you are more prone to be moved. I know it sounds like pride. I know it sounds like maybe I'm a little jealous. Maybe I have a little fear, but I assure you it is not. There is a great danger out there. And the Lord has established churches for the purpose of bolstering, strengthening the children of God that he puts in those churches. Paul says, while standing firm in these and other Bible doctrines, persevere in your service for the Savior. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. When I started studying the word abounding, it occurred to me that I had previously looked at Paul's exhortation just slightly incorrectly. My first thought for tonight's title was, you have to listen carefully, unmovably going forward or Going forward unmovably. And then I realized this has nothing to do with going forward. Even though other scriptures might teach that, that's not what this verse is saying. This is talking about making the most of the moment we are in, in the place where we happen to be. Abounding is an interesting word. It's found quite a few times in the New Testament. I forget the number. We have it three times in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Let me read it for you. God is able to make, that's the same Greek word, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. When the Lord miraculously multiplied those fish that I referred to a minute ago, the fish and the bread, the Greek word each time, and that's in several places in the, in the, the Gospels, the Greek word each time was this same word, abound. In other words, the miracle abounded to the point that there was surplus food, and they collected uh, seven baskets or 12 baskets and had more food than they began with. It's found again in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. To excel is to abound. And notice it was Paul's hope that their abounding would be unto the edifying, the building up of the congregation, the church. Another example of the word is found in Acts 16, 5. And so the churches, and so were the churches established in the faith 
and increased in number daily. What is it to abound? Simply put, it is to prosper under the hand of God. Among other things, it's to grow, to grow in faith, to grow in love, to grow in service, practical service. But keep in mind, in the context, not just the context, in the statement, any victory we have comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever prosperous labor we render to the Lord, it is not in vain because it is in Him. Specifically, in what does Paul hope that we all abound? Here, it's in the work of the Lord. It's not that other areas of our lives are unimportant, but this is what he's stressing right here. It's not that our prayer lives are unimportant. They are. It's not that our worship is unimportant. It is. But here he is emphasizing abounding in the work, in the service. In the midst of these other things, we have work to do. And remember, this letter is not like some which specifically begins by mentioning the bishops and the deacons. This letter begins by addressing the members of the church in Corinth. Everybody, whether they're preachers or not preachers, whether they be men or ladies, to the entire membership, every single one of us have been given gifts And there are responsibilities which go with those gifts. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work, the responsibility, using the gifts that the Lord has given you. We're exhorted to abound in the work which ultimately belongs to the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's interesting that Paul uses two different words for work. Work and then labor. Is there a difference between them? I think there is. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul tied labor to a related biblical word. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Even today, when a woman is about to give birth, it is said that she goes into labor. It's not uncommon for people to say, travailing in labor. Giving birth is not like uh, ordinary housework. It's not like uh, answering phones at the office. The word work is taken to a higher level when it is expressed as labor. It's work which involves pain. It is work which is more than minimal effort, more than a mere job. And in that context, there is that great verse in Revelation 14. It's number 13. It's found in the context of the tribulation. 
I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Lord, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Paul tells us, based on our upcoming translation from this world, or at least by our resurrection, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, be ye steadfast, yes. unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have so few days, relatively speaking, in which to serve the Lord. Yes. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6, 9. And God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which we have showed toward his name, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Hebrews 6, 10. The Lord will not forget our labor. It's not in vain in the Lord. Right. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, in the work of Christ Jesus. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.